This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons for that. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam, and we're joined, as always, by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good, Adam. How are you? Ah, pretty good, thank you. Thomas, today on the show, we're going to be asking you, it's buyback season. What does that mean for us? Uh, is it true that China has become uninvestable? And the e-postman has been to visit and dropped off a few digital letters in the virtual mailbox, which is just another way of saying we've got a few emails to cover off. But first, Thomas, consumer and business confidence data is out this week. Mm. How are we feeling? Yeah, a bit glum, actually. Not, oh. not, not too chipper on the, on the latest data. NAB, NAB has a business survey uh, and that confidence measure that turned negative first time since mid last year. Right. Uh, and the biggest monthly fall since probably April 2020. So normally this series is pretty stable, but it's lurching around all over the place. So it, so it dropped right through the floor in April 2020 and then bounced back. And by the end of end of 2020, it was in the positive and then up until recently was some, at some of the highest levels on record. So businesses were super pumped. They were super mm. confident about the outlook. Uh, but that's all unwound in the recent month and we're now now back in the negatives. We asked 100 people locked up at home, <laughs> how confident were they? <laughs> uh, it's not rocket science, is it? Like, we, Do we really need a survey to find this out? It gives economists something to do, I suppose, during the lockdown. Yeah. Some data to crunch. I mean, yeah, yeah, it is is interesting. I mean, it's interesting because it bounced back so hard, right. and because there was so much money in the system, and you know, the corporate sector is doing pretty well. Particularly, big corporations are going great guns. We're seeing that in the reporting season at the moment. Yeah. So, and you might make the might think that if if lockdowns looking like it's going to be temporary, then there's going to be a big bounce back on the other side, and that businesses might look through that and temper their their emotions mm. around, around it, but it looks like they haven't. Um, it's gone negative to, apart from the COVID drop in 2020, probably the lowest level since 2013. So it's not, so it's not, it's not panic stations. It's not like they're they're back at like where they were last year, but it's definitely definitely dropped off significantly. So they're they're quite separate things, like business confidence and consumer confidence. Do the two do they kind of track together, or are they very different beasts? Uh, no, I think I think they're pretty they're pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think they they tend to tend to move together. Yeah, I've actually, that's a good question. I don't know if anyone's ever looked at the formal relationship between the two. What? <laughs> yeah. 
we've got all this time on our hands. We're surveying people who can't go outside to see how they're feeling. <laughs> and no one's looked at whether or not there's a correlation between consumer confidence and business confidence. Surely it doesn't take me to come up with those kinds of ideas, Thomas. No, no, they definitely are. But it's just kind of like, why would you bother? <laughs> like, what does it prove? That's my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you bother? That's me. Yeah. Uh, bothering where others wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's right. Consumer confidence, the Roy, Roy ANZ, Roy Morgan survey, that dropped off a cliff as well. Right. Again, not to like panic stations levels that we saw in 2020, but certainly a sharp drop off. Yeah, lowest level in many years. So, yeah, consumers and businesses are looking at what's going on with the lockdowns and feeling a bit nervous about it. The other thing that's in, in the the worrying thing is that forward orders are down as well in the business confidence in the business survey, and so is the employment outlook. What are what are forward orders? Are there, is that like lay by? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just about the outlook for Afterpay. That's, just <laughs> ask companies, you reckon Afterpay, should I buy Afterpay? <laughs> what, are, uh, what are forward orders? Oh, it's like, you know, the orders coming in for products to, to oh, be delivered, okay. you know, in the future. Right, yeah. Yeah, so like what, what's the forward order book looking like? Right. Um, yeah, that, that turned turned down pretty significantly. And employment sort of did as well. So it means that businesses are, are a bit nervous. If they were looking to ramp up employment, they might be putting that on pause for a bit. We probably know that unemployment's going to tick up in, in July. We get that later this week. And that, that then feeds into consumer confidence as well. So, yeah, long story short, the, the lockdown's having an impact. I mean, no, yeah, I get you saying there's no surprises there, but it, it's significant People aren't, doesn't seem at this stage that people are looking through the lockdown to the other side and just going like, oh, we'll just ride this out and we'll be right. It seems like people are, are genuinely worried and this is going to turn into a long-term thing. And, and a lot of people now are saying that we're, we're locking in a double-dip recession, which is right. a, couple, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this. It seemed like we're definitely locking in a negative September quarter. December quarter was still a sort of line ball, depends how it goes, but... New South Wales is, is still going in the wrong direction. So mm. now a lot of people are talking about that, get that double dip recession. Right. And so March March 2020, obviously the share market fell off a cliff and mm. then bounced back. But are we looking at big impacts on the share market as a result of this kind of confidence? Not as yet. You know, not as yet. I mean, this is, this is something I've been wondering about this week. Like, are we going to see a repeat? Markets tend to be able to look through the noise a bit better than consumers and businesses, I think, and particularly because we know that if if there's a sort of perverse sort of reality that happens that if if things get bad enough, then the government will come in with even more money, mm. which is good for valuation. So business, a lot of I think markets at the moment will be looking through that and and kind of balancing that, saying like, well, it's temporary. We'll probably get through it. We know that. You know, even with the worst of 2020, a lot of businesses were going great guns. Like a lot of businesses had their best year ever. Yeah. Is it also, is, is, that be, is that because as well, we didn't know in March 2020 what the government response would be? Like we didn't know whether the, they'd fire up the money printing machines. Yeah. Whereas now we can pretty safely say, well, they haven't turned them off. I haven't turned them off, <laughs> so, yeah. It's still warm. Yeah. <laughs> so there's more confidence in the fact that the, that the government will provide that that money support yeah i think i think that's right i think that's right the, yeah the, the 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 safety nets there yeah and i think i think the mm. market sort of recognize that the rest of the world's doing okay as well i mean you know like mm. 
when COVID hit in March 2020, the whole the whole world went, you know, like that kind of mm. simultaneously. There was panic across the globe. Whereas, um, unfortunately, we kind of find ourselves now in, in the, a state where we're not doing as well as other countries in terms of our vaccinations mm. or, or dealing with COVID. So you can see the US opening up, the UK opening up, you know, other European countries. So because they're sort of functioning and the economy is still ticking over, maybe we won't see the same mm. take. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think, I mean, it, like it was genuinely terrifying, the mm. pandemic, because it was such a global phenomenon. And yeah, I think, you know, markets were right to totally freak out. This time around, as you're saying, yeah, it's, it's, this is an Australian story. The rest, we're lagging the world now. We had we had the, you know, gold standard best, best case scenario in Australia through 2020. We're, you know, envy of the world with the sort of freedoms we were able to enjoy. But now it looks like we're kind of lagging behind a lot of the developed countries because the vaccination rate is still too low. And it, mm. and it does, and this is still something I wonder about. Like it's not a settled question for me. Like we're, you know, in New South Wales are saying, well, we just got to learn to live with COVID now and we'll get our freedoms back once we get vaccination rates up above 80%. And that still seems like it's a way off. But even then, like there's no guarantee that this, that's the case yet. It's, it's still a hope. And it mm. still feels like we're sort of clutching at straws a bit. In New South Wales, they you know they want to get it, want to learn to live with the virus, and that depends on vaccination rates. In WA, they're they're saying they still want zero cases and no COVID, and that's that's what they're gunning for. So a, there's a real sort of fracturing going on, and yes, yeah, it's, it's a it's a challenging time for Australia, I think. Um, I mean, there's lots of ideas now, at least coming out about how to get people vaccinated. Last week, we obviously mm. you know we covered off. And the opposition was suggesting three hundred dollars a person. So, it, and it, it, that's that's kind of the way out of this, right? Is to get vaccinated? Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's the hope. That's the hope. I mean, we we talked about that last week with the behavioural economics mob, but it mm. was revealed later in the week that uh, Scott Morrison had actually talked to Tab about rolling out a lottery. Tab the bookie. The bookie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Floated that idea. Wanted to see if they they thought it was a goer. Was he talking to Tab or was he just talking in a Tab? In a tab. <laughs> <laughs> <He's> just, <laughs> I can just imagine him inside one of those little those Tab shops, just with surrounded by TV screens, looking for tips. <laughs> anyone got a tip for race five? <laughs> oh, and anyone got any ideas for how we might get increased adoption of vaccination <laughs> across the country? <laughs> What's he talking to Tab about? Score a fifty dollar bonus bet if you get your COVID jab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck your COVID winnings on a same race multi. Uh, nice one. Well, Tab, Tab used to be a, a public entity. Like I think they're privatised now, but they they used to be an arm of the government back right. in the day. Yeah. All right. Perhaps we should move on. We better we better put a pin in that. And leave that leave that behind us, Thomas. So, look, let's talk share buybacks. Um, we dare I say called it a few weeks ago mm. when ANZ announced that they were doing a share buyback. We started talking, looking at what a buyback is, when you might do that kind of thing. Since then, it's all kicked off. Buybacks are hoy hoy, Thomas. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. I think we did call it. We said I said I thought it'd be the thin end of the wedge. We're now in the thick end of the wedge, it seems. Mm. Yeah, going with reporting season. So companies are announcing that they're going to buy back shares. We've got sort of the, the big 10 that have announced this year so far are collectively purchasing $13.3 billion. Ooh. Yeah, so a lot of money. Commonwealth Bank last week was the you know far and away the biggest of those. We said we expected a big number from CBA, and they delivered. They got six billion. They're, they're buying back from the market. 
That's on top of another $4 billion they're distributing in dividends, meaning they're handing $10 billion back to shareholders, which is mm. bigger market cap than most companies on the ASX 200. Yeah, wow. They're just giving it away. <laughs> uh, can I invest in the company they've created for the share buyback? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that, that's that's going on. But yeah, there's a bunch going on. NAB came out 2.5, ANZ 1.5, which we covered off, mm. Suncorp 250 million, Telstra late last week with 1.35 billion. Yeah, and then and that's not the end of it. But like there's a lot of expectation that some of the miners, BHP, Fortescue Metals, South 32, are going to have a buyback. Woolworths are expected to have a buyback as well. Right. I saw one estimate saying that, that they expect that, that at the high end of that could be another 6 billion on top of the 13.3 we've seen. So. A lot of money going back to investors at the moment. On top, and on top of that, dividends. The, sorry, just mm. dividends have been in line, if not better, than expectations as well. So, <laughs> in line, if not better, didn't didn't CBA pay out double dividends this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, CBA, yeah, CBA, yeah. Yeah, sure. Just massive flex. Oh, whatever. Let's double yeah. it. Tell you what, double it. <laughs> double it. <laughs> I've been talking to Tab as well. Yeah. But yeah, but profits are up. It's been a, it's been a great year. Pro, yeah, companies are flush and they're they're returning that money to shareholders. That's what that's what's going on either through dividends but also through buybacks. Right. So it seems like there's no no one's worried at all that that this won't end well. Like last week or a couple of weeks ago, mm. when we talked about at the ANZ buyback. We had a look at some of the stuff that that happened historically in the US and the SEC got involved and there was some kind of you know and and I think some of the data in fact said um you know that post the buybacks in sort of you know another 10 years or whatever that it in in mm. hindsight it, it didn't seem like it was such a crash hot idea the share price didn't sort of do what it was meant to underperform so so there doesn't seem like there's any of that fear. It sounds like everyone's just piling in on all all aboard the buyback train. Is there? There's none of that. I haven't I haven't seen so much. I mean, one investors are mm. happy because with the buybacks, their share price goes up. So there's no one to really complain about it. You know, like you like kind of the idea that say CBA shouldn't be returning the money because it should have some good ideas for things to invest in. No one's going to be complaining if you don't already own the mm. company. But if you already own the company, then you're, you're benefiting from the share buyback. So, you're not going to kick up too much of a stink, mm. I think is sort of the thing. The, but the other, the other thing is a lot of this money was emergency funds. So, when, when COVID hit, a lot of companies issued capital and said, like, looks like there's some rough times ahead. We're going to, we're going to raise money while we can, get a bit of a war chest together and ride out the storm. And in the end, there wasn't a storm, and they had a great year. And so, they're kind of, a lot of the a lot of what's going back is this emergency capital that they just didn't need. And like, well, we don't actually need this, so we're just going to send it back. Right. Um, yeah. So that's going on. But it's interesting now. Like, we're going into another round of lockdowns, into and probably into a double dip recession. It's like, well, are you sure you don't need that emergency capital now? Like, things look a little rocky. And the other, like one of the interesting stories this week was AGL. So AGL came out and had a pretty disappointing uh, result. Um, share price fell further. It, just a lot of lot of troubles that they're in. Um, they're raising four hundred million with a dividend reinvestment plan. Markets expect some analysts expect they're going to have to raise another four hundred to five hundred million in fresh equity as as mm. well. But AGL did a share buyback. Of six hundred and twenty million in August two thousand and nineteen. Right, just so just before it, the just before COVID mm. kicked off. 
Yeah, just before COVID. So they yeah, so they they bought bought back shares, bought back six hundred twenty million in August twenty nineteen. Two years mm-hmm. later, they're having to to raise money again, potentially sell equity. So one of the things I talk about with with buybacks is like with AGL's case, they they bought back at when their share price was around eighteen dollars. Yeah. It's currently around six. So they're buying at eighteen and then selling at six. And I don't, I don't want to overwhelm you with a, a complex <laughs> trading concept here, but if you're if you're buying high uh, and selling yeah. low, no, I am I am all too familiar, Thomas, <laughs> with this concept. <laughs> it's my uh, modus operandi that I run in my portfolio. That's <laughs> <laughs> how you day trade your super. <laughs> buy yeah, high, sell low. That's right. No, I'm, I'm all across the buy high, sell low model. That's a three bagger. <laughs> For a three bagger. <laughs> As we call it, as I call it. So yeah, one Alice, I think they're saying it's not a great idea. Like, and you tend to buy back when things are going great. You got heaps of money, and your share price is mm. up because everything's going great. But then you're issuing when things are tough, and you need the money. Um, and so you're necessarily buying high and selling low. Maybe that's not great, mm. but no one's yeah, but no one's too stressed about it. I think everyone's everyone's happy. Share prices are booming along. Everyone's getting their money. Dividends are up. It's happy days as far as most mar- people in the markets are concerned. And if there's, you know, it's 2022's problem. <laughs> things go wrong. <laughs> 2022 and AGL shareholders problem, it would seem. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's take a short break there, grab a word from this week's sponsor, and we'll be back with more after this. Welcome back here on Comedian versus Economist. Don't forget you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram at CVE Podcast. Thomas, China is uninvestable. Is this true? Yeah, well, Ambrose Evans Pritchard reckons it is. He's the finance editor at the Telegraph in the UK. Um, yeah, he had a piece the other day saying that, it, that it's uninvestable. Yeah, this is too much sovereign risk at the moment. And we're seeing this with sort of they're cracking down, the tech sector's copying it. Um, yeah, the tech US market like, like lost 1.2 trillion since mid-Feb. It's down. Tencent, what is the great set? Tencent and Alibaba are both down 40% from their oh. highs, and those two make up 10% of the MSCI Emerging Markets Index. So if you're, you know, if you're on an, in an ETF of MSCI Emerging Markets, mm-hmm. you could be down 10% just on those two. Yeah, and so so China's crack, cracking down on the tech sector and. and and a bit more generally, are they as well. an emerging market? Yeah, really. It seems pretty. It seems pretty settled over there in China. It seems like they. Mm. I don't know. I, I'm surprised. I don't know a lot about this stuff, mm. obviously, um, painfully, mm, obviously. Mm. But I would have thought that they're a fairly they're a fairly well established economy, a fairly well established market that they wouldn't be seen as emerging anymore. They, they've emerged, haven't they? Yeah, some, but like they're still they're still urbanizing their population. Like there's still people coming in off the off the farms and into the cities. Like it's not that the sort of process of development in the sort of classical mm. sense isn't finished in China. I think maybe it's maybe it's a question I'll ask the equity, equity mates guys, or maybe see if they can cover it off about what the definition of an of an emerging market is. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you yeah. know, unless I mean, you it's know. kind of a macro question, but sure, you want to <laughs> talk to those guys or whatever. No worries. It's just economics just... and macro, but well, that's fine. <laughs> Talk to the equity mates, guys. Your buddies. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, what's your definition yeah. of, of an emerging market? Uh, See? I don't know what the technical definition is. <laughs> so I get equity mates for my, for my investing info. But no, okay. So they, they, they're cracking down. So there's, but there's three, there's three stories 
doing the rounds about why why this is going right. on. Um, and it depends on which which camp you think is going on. It depends on on how ex- how much exposure you want to have to China. So the first story is that China is just plugging gaps and they're you know making sure there's no strategic vulnerabilities coming through the corporations. So and saying it's in response to America had the America's Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act, Holding Foreign Companies Accountable right. Act. And basically, like, if you're a director of a company that's listed in the US, then you've got to disclose a whole bunch of stuff. But, like, the directors of the big companies all have political and military ties in China. So, it like, it sort of opens this door that China didn't really want opened. And also, now that China has sort of taken control of Hong Kong, they kind of want to get people out of China, out of the US market and into the Hong Kong market. Um, where they have more control over it. And that's sort of the idea is that they're just shoring up some strategic vulnerabilities and it's not too big a story. It's not something to be worried about too much. We're just They're just moving companies away from America back back closer to home. Uh, still happy days, still lots lots of upside for Chinese right. companies. That's that's story okay. one. Story two is that it's, it's, a, it's a, a fairness and equity consideration. So... What they're doing is they're they're making sure that these big companies in China don't get too big, or so big that they start distorting the political process. And they would say to say like look at to America and say you look at the lobbying that goes on in Washington from big tech or from big pharma or whatever the big whatevers, that distorts the political process and that creates unfair outcomes for its people. That's a, that seems like a double edged sword though, like. I mean, I get it. You, you don't want these big companies becoming too wielding too much political power, but at the same time, if they get the bigger they get, the more jobs they create, the more income they bring in, the more tax they pay. Well, maybe not depending on where they where they're housed. But yeah, I mean, it's, oh, it's not immediately obvious that one big company employs more people than five small companies. Yeah, fair enough. Like it kind of depends on how 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 it breaks up, but it's definitely true that one big company exerts a lot of political mm, power. True more political power than five small companies. And, and America has a history of this. So Roosevelt, you know, he, he took on the Rockefellers and the J.P. Morgans and broke up Standard Oil and U.S. Steel and the railway monopolies and tried to sort of, you know, make sure that that corporate power wasn't consolidating too much and creating a sort of oligarchy. Mm. And that's what, And so the story goes, this is just China's version of that and it's ultimately going to be a good thing because you have a more fair and equitable society. Goldman Sachs was reporting on this, ironically, one of the richest investment banks in the world. They're saying, from a long-term macro perspective, the new regulations could potentially lead to a more balanced economy in terms of growth drivers and resource allocation, less inequality, which is conducive to aggregate consumption growth, foster fairer competition, which is crucial for innovation and creativity, and lower systemic risk in the highly leveraged sectors. So happy yeah. days is that that's that's story too as well. Saying it's a good thing. It's a bit of pain now. They're getting on top of the companies. They're gonna the big companies gonna have to take a bit of a hit. But the Chinese outlook in the long run is going to be all the better for it. Yeah, that's story too. Okay. Story three is the sort of the Ambrose Evans Pritchard line, which is like that's not actually what's going on. What you're seeing is a consolidation of political power under Xi Jinping. It's just about grabbing hold of power and, and making sure that there's no political, you know, rivals emerging out of the, the Chinese political ecosystem. And it's about sort of totalitarian control. Mm. A quote here from Dominic Armstrong, who's from the Emerging Market Fund, Horatius. <laughs> 
the Communist Party will destroy all value if that's the cost of protecting their strategic control. They won't plan to do this, but they are ready to go there if necessary. Right. Mm. So they're, they're willing, to, willing to go hard, create a bit of pain in the short term, bust up some big companies, even their best performing companies, as long as that means that they, get, they keep hold of political control. Right. I mean, story one and story three sound pretty similar. <laughs> like... <laughs> Neither of those stories are great for the big companies. No, I mean, no, in, in story in story one, they're happy with the big companies being mm. big. They just don't want them in, in America opening up a window from America into yeah. China. So, it's like happy happy with what you guys are doing. Just want you got in Hong Kong rather than right, America okay. because then, then we feel safer. Otherwise, business as usual, carry on. Story three is back in your box. We're going to hit you on the head, get, get you under control because you're getting a bit big for your boots. Right. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. And so that's what, and so that's why Evans Pritchard is saying like it's it's uninvestable. There's too much sovereign risk now because you, if you if a company starts to do well, then it can find the rug taken mm. out from underneath it. And you saw this with the education sector in China, like that you know that that wasn't even a particularly big sector like with big companies, but look, there were some good profits going on for some companies. But yeah, yeah they just got sort of uh, you know with the rule of law wiped out overnight. Yeah. So we talked about. Um, Back in the very early days of this podcast, um, we did, I think the first six or seven episodes were on the, on the sort of foundations of economics um, and we talked about share market value and how it's always forward looking and I guess it makes it really hard to think about what a company might be worth in the future if you don't know that at any point the, the government might come and just kind of shut down operations in one way or another. Like it's easy to look mm. at a, a small company in Australia and you think, wow, they're going to do some really amazing things. They've got this really long runway of, of profit ahead of them or whatever. Mm. I guess you can, you can buy into that company with a bit more certainty. Whereas in China, I guess what he's saying is, you know, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. And so mm. therefore you can't put your money there at the moment at least because mm. it could all be taken out at, you know, as you say, the rug mm. could be pulled at any point and then it all comes crashing down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it's kind of it's even trickier than that because those three stories, like I don't know which is true. It's probably unknowable. Mm. Uh, a lot of smart people setting up in in each of those camps, but there is uncertainty there. You don't know what the reality is. You don't know what the outlook is. So it is quite hard to sort of value a Chinese company in that context because you, you kind of don't know. It's just there's just so much uncertainty there. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely, definitely things are changing. So, you know, five years ago, we're talking about, you know, the Chinese century and China joining hands with the West and walking into a golden future of trade liberalization. Mm. And that's what me and my know, mates were talking about, value. that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But that's not, no one, no one's talking about that anymore. Now it's all about, it's a cold war effectively, like people are. Cold War worried that it's going to go hot, so that that's the new reality we have, and that and that change has happened very quickly, yeah. like you know, eighteen months. Like it's been it's been a really remarkable shifting of the political poles. Yeah, well, all right. Look, we got some listener emails to get to um, before we finish up. Um, really love getting your emails, guys. Uh, keep them coming through. CVE at equitymates.com or you can hit up the website equitymates.com forward slash CVE. Uh, Jeff sent us an email. Says love the show. Uh, listen to the special. Super Superannuation show on Saturday. That was part of our uh, Super Saturday series, thanks to Superhero. Uh, I noted the point that one of the original perceived benefits of Super was investing capital in new infrastructure and businesses to help grow Australia. Lately, it looks like all they are doing is buying existing listed assets 
e.g. Sydney airports, and taking them private. Does this crowd out the traditional investment community like us retail investors? Thomas? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. It's a good question. Um, yeah, not exactly. So you kind of think about this idea that money going in anywhere goes everywhere. So if if they're investing in particular, like in, in, in infrastructure assets, that means anyone in a sort of comparable space trying to raise money for infrastructure assets is going to be able to do it more cheaply. They're going to be able to get more money. There's more money available for infrastructure. So, and then so the big super funds might displace people. So they come in and they buy Sydney Airport, say, but that probably means that whoever was going to buy Sydney Airport then looks for another infrastructure play. Right. And, that, and that, that other infrastructure play might be a new piece of infrastructure rather than an existing piece of infrastructure. Mm. So it does, it, money going in helps the whole space. Um, and you can create. It does help create new infrastructure, even if the super funds aren't directly buying new infrastructure. Is there a different profile though of companies who are prepared to to build new infrastructure or invest in new infrastructure compared with those who might just buy existing assets? Like, it's mm-hmm. is it a bigger gamble to to invest in new infrastructure? Yeah, it is. It is. I think. I think. But it helps knowing that there's super funds to sell to ultimately. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if you like, if I can create a nice piece of good long-term infrastructure yeah. here, so there's some super funds going to fall over themselves to buy, buy sweet bridge or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, I know what it looks like. Uh, oh yeah, fair enough. All right, uh, thanks, Jeff, for your email. Uh, Willard uh, wrote in. He was uh, listening to you talking about the the book. Last week, I mm. uh, forget which one. Thinking it was. fast and slow. I think thinking fast and slow. Justin Thomas's comment on thinking fast and slow. I didn't figure out that was the title of the book. Um, I also read the book and think it's filled with some great insights into how we think and behave. Some of the ideas in the book have been regarded as a bit of a stretch. Mm. Notably, most of the studies that Kahneman didn't orchestrate. Thomas, are you just? Plying us with conspiracy <laughs> theories from some crackpot of... He said the book is nearly 10 years old. A lot of the studies referred throughout even older. Oh, sounds like... Oh, no. Point is that there's some other books out there that could tickle your fancy. Nudge, Final Edition. Uh, How to Change Milkman and Predictably Irrational by Ariely. Mm-hmm. Keep dancing, lads. Thank you, mm-hmm. Willard. Oh, I will keep dancing. Have you read any of those other books? Well, first mm. of all, Thomas, thinking fast and slow, mm. any comment on the fact that uh, Willard thinks you're a conspiracy theorist? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, it's a fair point. I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating <laughs> it's, it's worth reading just, be, just for the way he tries to set up these experiments. So he has this idea that people will react in a certain way to particular incentives. So then he tries to set up an experiment that controls the scenario just to measure the particular incentives. Um, so it's right. fascinating thinking about how you set up experiments like that to test test those hypotheses. Uh, and then his description of the way the brain works with these two functions, the fast thinking, light and sort of like impulse driven versus slowing down and thinking calculatedly. Is, is a very useful framework, even if it's not the complete picture, it's very useful. 
and I, yeah, it's, so it's a great book. I still recommend. It. I think I think he, he does as well. He loves the book. I think it's, it should be noted. It's just me calling Thomas a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but just, thanks for the yeah, thanks for those other tips. I, I, I've heard of Nudge. I haven't heard those other ones. So I'd be very curious to see. But there's yeah, where I love I love that space where psychology meets economics. It's a really fascinating space. Yeah. So if anyone else is interested, that was Nudge, uh, How to Change by Milkman, and a book called Predictably Irrational. Uh, if you're interested in following up any of those, um, I don't really read. So <laughs> I'll leave those to someone else. Uh, all right, finally, uh, Clement. Clement, Clement, thanks for your email. I love the podcast. You mentioned Bernie Madoff last week, and I would like your opinion on how likely it is that a new Bernie Madoff is stealing people's life savings now as we speak, and are we safe from those bad practices in Australia? So Bernie Madoff famously invented the Ponzi scheme, is that right? No, no, that was Charles Ponzi. Ah. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> more sense now. <laughs> yeah. No, Bernie Madoff just had a particularly sophisticated Ponzi scheme. <laughs> yeah, Bernie Madoff, I think, invented the... Uh, he, he made off with made lots away. of money. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there's no saving me from that. I, I even knew that. I even knew about the Ponzi scheme yeah, thing. Yeah. God, this must must be late. Yeah. Apologies, everyone. In terms of Ponzi scheme, so remember, a Ponzi scheme is a scheme where the money coming in from new investors pays out the return of the existing investors, uh, and there are no actual. The company itself is not making any. The scheme itself is not making any money. It's not generating any money. It's only that flow from new investors mm. to existing investors that creates the returns and then once the flow of new investors dries up then the scheme collapses and that's what the ponzi scheme did and yeah so that's that's what we're talking about with the ponzi scheme and so we're, we're much more clued on to ponzi schemes as a concept now and we're much we have a much better insight into the way schemes work apart from bitcoin obviously but um, yeah, so so like those sort of raw kind of scams, I don't think are, are, you know are really such a, such a big a big worry. And like even with the Royal Commission into the banking sector, like they uncovered some pretty dodgy stuff, but nothing like whole scale fraud like a Ponzi scheme. You know, there were some shady practices charging dead people mm. for advice they never received, stuff like that. But. Um, it wasn't like a wholesale Ponzi scheme where they're just fleecing people. Um, and we do have, you know, whole systems set up to try and stop that kind of stuff happening. But, you know, build a better mousetrap, they build a better mouse. So we'll see. Mm. And I saw I saw a stat uh, a little while ago around the increase, increasing mm. price of cybersecurity insurance and it's gone like through the roof. So there's never a shortage of scams around, you know, particularly when you talk about uh, when you talk about cybersecurity, they're everywhere. So, uh, you know, ransomware attacks and all those kinds of things that are that are yeah more prevalent than ever. So mm. we might be yeah. Make sure you write down your passwords. <laughs> <and> then... <laughs> this is just trying to trigger me. Uh, yeah. yeah. So no, definitely scams around, but yeah, hopefully maybe we're uh, the, as you say, regulation maybe is taking stopping Bernie from making off with all your money, as it were. <laughs> oh, I can't even get the pun right at the end. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Quit yeah. while you're ahead. Well, we're ahead. All right. Um, we'll leave it there. Uh, don't forget, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send us uh, 
your thoughts, comments, questions, cve at equitymates.com or at the website equitymates.com forward slash cve. Don't forget to check out all the other great podcasts across Equitymates Media, Equitymates Investing Podcast. Get started investing. You're in good company. Thomas, you've been good company as always. No, thank you. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next week. Bye. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.